Yeah, so thank you for joining me today. Well, I guess my first question is, can you just talk a little bit about the National Hellenic Museum? Yeah, um, so the, the museum as, um, as a concept has been around since 1983. That was actually when the museum was founded. And um, it's gone through a few different iterations, um, all in Chicago. Um, the first was on um, Michigan Avenue, um, you know, the main big street in, in Chicago in, um, in the Loop. And then um, it moved over to from there. Um, and, and actually, while the museum was there, um, that was around the time that the, um, the Greek Independence Day Parade, which is obviously an enormous um, celebration here in Chicago and very important, obviously, for the Greek community. Um, it was when the um, Greek Independence Day Parade actually moved from State Street in Chicago over to um, Halstead Street, which is where the museum um, sits now and where the um, museum was situated right before um, the permanent space was built. We were above um, one of the one of the few major Greek restaurants remaining in um, in what is Greek Town in Chicago, um, Greek Islands. Um, the museum was above that restaurant while the actual physical museum space was being built and. Um, the museum space was built on the ground of what was a Greek-owned hardware store. And so we replaced one Greek institution with another. Um, it was a very um, important hardware store in that space. That's, that was uh, where everybody went to get um, everything they needed um, for repairs to buildings, um, especially with all the businesses in the area. Um, and so the actual physical space was completed in 2011. And so our mission at the museum is to um, preserve uh, the Greek story in America and to um, share that with future generations. Um, we do that through um, programming um, now after um, everything with COVID, um, both uh, online, but we're finally back to doing in-person programming. Um, we do that through events, um, exhibits, and then um, obviously with our collection, which is the basis of most of our exhibits, and as well as our oral history program, which is really kind of like the crown jewel of mm -hmm. um, our collection at the museum. Um, and that really grew out of that, that need and desire to collect stories of um, Greek Americans after, um, especially um, after Greek town, um, which really the majority of Greek town, the major portion of the city known as Greek town, um, after that was really leveled in the 1950s. Um, and replaced with what is now the University of Illinois at Chicago and um, the Eisenhower Expressway. So um, Greektown fell victim to um, the um, urban renewal, as it was called, um, the, the nicer term um, for um, basically when parts of cities were just completely leveled and redone in, in the 1950s. And so um, that's kind of where the museum came from and how it grew. And, um, and that's what we continue to do today. I see. Wow. It's, it's, that's it's great. Could you talk a little bit about your your role in the museum? Sure. So um, I've been at the museum now since the, well, I, I interned at the museum in the summer of 2017 while I was doing my master's degree at uh, Loyola University, Chicago in Rogers Park. Mm -hmm. And um, I started interning there in the collections department, working with um, doing some of the social media outreach um, based around the collection and cataloging the collection, inventorying, and then really kind of revamping the storage spaces in the museum to make sure they were used more efficiently and more effectively. And um, 
I've been there basically ever since, and I've moved my way up to now managing the collection. And so I'm in charge of the collection, uh, the artifact collection, uh, the archival collections, and then the oral history program. I have some background in oral history. And um, so I do the uh, organizing of oral histories. I record them. Um, and then I do, sometimes I do the editing, um, but that's something we're, we're working on um, moving in, uh, getting, getting some other more accomplished and skilled editors um, doing there. And um, so really my job revolves around um, donor outreach whenever anybody wants to donate something to the museum whether it's an artifact or sometimes we even get oral histories donated to the museum. They, we don't always record them, um, but we accept any oral histories that have to do with, with um, the Greek American story or Greek American experiences. Um, I am in charge of basically curating the collection. So um, I'm choosing what does and does not come into the, um, into the museum and um, you know, in the name, we are the national Hellenic museum. So we're not restricted to, collecting things from Chicago, from Chicago's Greek community, though that is the main portion mm -hmm. of our collection, also with such a huge um, Greek population and um, Greek history in the city of Chicago, that was kind of an inevitable, inevitable thing. Um, but we have collections from all over the country. Um, and then our archival collections really focus on um, individuals um, in the Greek community. Um, Jim Meselson is a big name. We're actually working on um, processing his collection right now. I've got a little help in the archives and it is a massive collection because he, he kept everything, thankfully, because it's all very helpful for researchers mm -hmm. um, and organizations such as the Greek Women's University Club. Um, I just had a researcher researching in that collection um, over the past several months and she just presented her, um, her paper and I, that, Apparently it went very well, so I'm, I was happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, yeah, the, the oral history collection, it's, it's, it's very important. It's very near and dear to our board of directors and obviously to our community, the long, the long you know, centuries old um, history of um, storytelling in the Greek community and, um, and passing down traditions orally, whether it's around the dinner table or at, at um, events or weddings, anything like that. Um, so we really try and keep that. Um, that tradition alive. And um, we don't have the oral histories available to view online right now. Um, they have to be viewed in the museum, but we do have all the transcripts online. So people can read through the interviews, but if they do want to see them or listen to them, they have to come visit the museum. I see. And would you say that it's hard to preserve those oral histories? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, one, one thing with oral history is, um, the most important thing with oral history is redundancy. We have to have multiple storage locations, because if one computer that has the oral histories breaks, then we lose those oral histories. Or if a server goes down, we lose those oral histories. Mm -hmm. We actually have them stored in multiple locations. Um, one issue that actually makes our oral histories really great, but also a little bit difficult to work with, is that they were many were recorded in 4K video. Mm -hmm. um, so they look fantastic, um, but they're very, very large video files. And so when, with that, you have to be able to store them somewhere. And especially when you want multiple locations, one of the big things is um, just having enough storage space on our servers um, to be able to actually store everything. And, and, and it's not just the videos, but also the paperwork because we need release forms so that people know that we'll be sharing these videos and people will be viewing them. And so we want to make sure everybody's comfortable with that. So we have um, all of the paperwork that goes in those files as well. So that that is... It's one of the more difficult things um, 
to maintain, but it really is, it's just a technology issue because technology changes so rapidly. Um, there have been uh, several iterations of how we display oral histories at the museum. We're on a one that I think will work for a while now, where basically we upload them to a private YouTube channel. And then I have built a website where we um, embed those videos um, on the website to play in, in the museum. And it's been working very well so far. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds like a good idea. And like, like, I'm sure this is, this is like almost opposite, but what what is the preservation of like the artifacts like compared to like the oral history but just in their own way too like how is that sure so um with that it's and and you're right they are uh, they're almost polar opposites because our oral histories are are almost all Mm -hmm. um digital files they're all Mm -hmm. digitally preserved and our artifact collection obviously those are physical things that we have to be able to touch to hold to display um, and those are some of the things that make that um, it, it's its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, being in um, a museum space, you can't always have somebody around. So you're afraid somebody's going to touch something uh, that they shouldn't be touching. And mm-hmm. there's really very little that we can do about that. It's just that's one of the um, pitfalls that comes with the profession. Um, putting up, but I want to display the objects um, on our, our third floor, which is where our main exhibit space is is the um, the exhibit is the Greek immigration story in the United States. So it really traces um, the arrival of Greek immigrants and then basically everything they did as they developed um, businesses and homes and families um, and how they incorporated their traditions, whether it's the church or music or Greek fraternal organizations or um, Greeks in the military. It kind of, the exhibit traces that through and, the majority of the objects are uh, covered by plexi um, in the exhibit. Um, for those that aren't covered by plexiglass, we have stanchions um, that we that we use to kind of warn people to keep back a little bit. And of course, it's 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 a museum space, so the majority of people who come in know that these are not things that you're supposed to be touching. Um, one of the objects I desperately wanted to get out of our basement collection and into the exhibit is um, a candy table. So it's a granite countertop table on a wooden frame that was used for rolling out and making candy in a Greek candy kitchen in the early 20th century. It's, it's, it's a wonderful piece of history, uh, of physical history. It's very, very cool, but it weighs so much that I couldn't get it out of the basement by myself. So I had to hire a moving company to get it out of the basement. And then um, we put it upstairs and we put a plexiglass sheet over the top so you can still see it. Then um, the objects that would have also been used with it in the candy shop are what's on top of the, the plexi. So we've got a candy ball uh, maker. We've got um, chocolate molds. Um, we've got the um, the actual paper for when they used to wrap candy boxes by hand. Everything was done by hand in the early 20th century. Um, and candy shops, especially Greek candy shops, just everywhere over Chicago, all over Chicago and Illinois and the country, really. And um, so with those Um, The major things that we can do to help preserve these objects is um, a rotation. So we don't keep the same objects out all the time. Um, They get swapped every once in a while. Um, Display methods. um, For instance, we recently just put some of our textiles out, some which are over 100 years old and haven't been seen since I've been at the museum. They haven't been out of the basement. So it was something like the table that I really wanted to get out. And um, the way we display those is 
instead of um, folding them over, they're on a rounded dowel. And so instead of a crease, there's, there's more of a round to it um, so that there's less stress put on the object. Um, and those are, those are things that we will rotate um, frequently um, in, in time, but the exhibit just opened. So it'll be a little mm -hmm. bit before we do that. And can I ask if you guys get like new donations often? Like yeah, actually um, this year has been very, very good for donations. I think we've had 21 total donations come in mm -hmm. um, and, and donations range in size. Some can be one object. I had one that was just one painting, but I've had uh, another that was, um, um, this will be something we'll actually be displaying on Ohi Day, is um, about these prints that came in that were done by a Greek cartoonist during World War II. He was living in Cairo, Egypt, and some of them relate to Ohi Day. There were over 100 prints in that collection. Wow. So, so really, there's a huge range um, wow, within yeah. that. Yeah, and is there like a process behind just accepting them, or is it like, or do you just take them? Like, do you have to... So what's the process like behind getting the new artifacts? That's, that's a very good question. Um, and, so, and that has changed, but, and it has changed um, just naturally as the museum has grown. So mm -hmm. when the, the museum is a very large space, the, mm -hmm. the building is huge in Chicago. It's, it's, there's a lot of space to fill. But when we first opened the building, we were short on artifacts uh, just because we hadn't had a permanent space. Um, and that was 11 years ago now that the building opened mm -hmm. uh, 12 years or 10 years ago thereabouts. and um at that time basically anything that came in we were collecting um that was the collections um uh, protocol at the time now because there is less space because of how much we have mm -hmm. um i'm a little bit more selective about what i take into the museum mm -hmm. um some of the standards i use um right now we have a huge record collection vinyl records music um, and we haven't been able to catalog all of those yet. And so I don't actually accept records right now um, because until we figure out what we have. Um, another thing in that vein similar to is with books. Um, we have a huge collection of books. So I tend to not accept books because for the most part, we, we already have the majority of what people are trying to donate. Um, when it comes to things that I will accept, um, we look at first and foremost provenance. Do people know where this came from? Um, do people know what it's made out of? Do people know who made it? Do people know who used it? If it's a photograph, do we know who's in the picture? Can we identify the people? Can we identify the place, the year that it took place? Um, anything so that we can take that object and work it into an exhibit in the future. That, that really is my end goal with everything we bring into the collection right now is that it can be at some point exhibited, meaning that it either complements something we already have in the collection, or it adds a new story that we haven't previously um, had or been able to tell uh, at the museum. Yeah, that's interesting. And just one last final question here, just to you generally, I mean, you've been, you've been around Greek culture a lot. So how, and this isn't just related to Greek culture, right? Just generally, how important do you think that preserving this culture, who, Greek or whatever culture is, like how important do you think cultural preservation is to you? Well, and so I'm, I'm not Greek. Um, and so for me, every single day is a learning experience. And I absolutely love that. And the Greek community has welcomed me with open arms. And I'm incredibly grateful that and incredibly grateful for the privilege of being able to serve in this role 
whereby I am in charge of helping to preserve this history, at least at this institution. And it's one of those things where it's not as, say, interesting as, say, a sports game or um, or a more popular music or something, but it's such an integral part of um, maintaining just a cultural connection. And especially for Greeks being a diaspora community, having that strong connection back to their Greek roots and Hellenism and um, and all that um, that has kind of flowed from that, all the fruits of um, of that um, idea of, of Hellenism and all the connections that um, it both builds upon and creates in and of itself um, is, is just so radically important to um, not just Greeks, but to everyone. Um, it's one of those things that we try and highlight in the museum frequently that the National Hellenic Museum is, yes, it is a Greek American museum, but it is not just because there is something everyone can attach themselves to. Um, I always think of how um, in Illinois, in middle school, all um, Illinois uh, public school students do a a unit about mythology, Greek mythology. Everybody does it. I know I absolutely adored studying Greek mythology when I was in school. And so that's, that's that big connection point. Everybody, whether they're Greek or not, has some way that they can connect with the collection and with the Greek and with just um, Greek culture generally um, writ large. And so that's one of the things we try and highlight um, as often as we can at the museum. And we try and expand that to bring in uh, different ideas, different perspectives, but also always going back to how they're rooted in Hellenism and, um, and Greek culture. That's, that's interesting. Well, thank you so much. I'm just going to stop the recording here.